here we are continuing through all of this, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking around, <laughs> and I, I shouldn't laugh, but it, it's just people are just kind of like, <sighs> I don't know if it's a week you've had or whatever, but maybe it's just the masks as well, too. I'm not sure, but it's just, it, uh, it, I'm, you probably had a week, haven't you? And I trust that this time together can be an opportunity to be re-energized, be refocused, on what God has for you, and because, uh, you know, uh, after a week of being beaten down by all the news and everything else, it can be kind of tough to continue on and take that next step, but I trust that today you can be encouraged and challenged through God's message today. Now, let me review real quickly, because we're coming down to the last third here of our, of our series on the fruit of the Spirit, but the first part of the fruit of the Spirit, the first three, love, joy, and peace, we looked at those, and those first uh, three characteristics are, are basically more habits of the mind, and they find their source in God. And so when we uh, love, and when we have joy, and when we look for peace, that is all within God, and we need to look to God for that in our relationship with Him. We also discovered then in the next three uh, fruit of the Spirit, patience, kindness, and goodness, that these, these reach out to others. We use these to reach out to others. It is fortified by the first three, love, joy, and peace. Because when we have that foundation of love, joy, and peace, then we're able to reach out with the patience and kindness and goodness. And so I trust that through this, maybe through this week, you've had plenty of opportunities to put those into practice, uh, the fruit of the Spirit so far. And then we're beginning in, into the final three here, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we saved the, last, the best for last, right? And, uh, but the final three basically guide the general conduct of a follower of Christ. Uh, being led by the Spirit, you're, you're, you're going to be faithful and gentle and you have self-control. Those things are the conduct of what we have. So when you have that foundation of the first three and then reaching out with the second three, then the, the last three guide us in our conduct and what we do. Now there's a fruit that looks a bit like a coconut. Now a lot of you know what a coconut looks like. And it looks a bit like a coconut, but it isn't a coconut. It's about the size of an orange, so you know, pretty big about the size of an orange, and it grows in the Amazon. This fruit is called bakuri. And I don't know if any of you have had this before, but I looked, I haven't had it myself, but I looked it up, and I don't know if I'd ever eat this you know, normally or regularly, but the part that you eat is the sticky white pulp in the middle. And it, you can Google it and look it up. It, it looks interesting. And they say that it tastes sweet and sour at the same time. Um, if you like that kind of taste, then I guess you might be looking for this. The pulp is also used to produce creams and sorbets and fruit juices. So it's very interesting. And when the outside of the fruit is squeezed, it oozes a latex-like substance, making bakuri a particularly sticky fruit inside and out. And so you have an interesting kind of fruit. Um, I don't know. Maybe you've handled other kind of fruits that are, are sticky. Uh, maybe a mango, peach. I don't know, online. Maybe you've done that. You can leave a comment there letting us know what kind of fruit you've kind of dealt with that's been kind of sticky. 
I know that if, I, if I'm doing something else and I have a, a nectarine or a peach, <laughs> uh, something else that I'm doing gets all sticky <laughs> because it's all over my hands. But this next fruit of the Spirit that we're looking at is faithfulness. And this fruit is also sticky as well. Someone who is faithful is someone who sticks with you and sticks at it. God, God is sticky. He's very faithful. Once he makes a promise, he holds on to it and will never let it go. No one and nothing can shake that promise from his hand like a, a, a yarn caught in the claws of a cat. If you've played with a cat before, they grab onto something, they're like, I can't let go, can't let go. That's kind of sticky that we're looking at. This same God calls us to be faithful and through the Holy Spirit produces faithful stickiness in us. Mark Hatfield tells of touring uh, Calcutta with Mother Teresa and visiting the so-called House of Dying, where sick children are cared for in their last days and uh, where the poor line up by the hundreds to receive medical attention. Watching Mother Teresa minister to these people, feeding and nursing those left by others to die, Mark Hatfield was overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of the suffering she and her co-workers face daily. And you can imagine going there, you knowing that it's not going to turn out well for those kids. This might be the day. He asked, how can you bear the load without being crushed by it? And, he, and Mother Teresa replied, well, my dear Senator, I am not called to be successful. I am called to be faithful. And we are also called in the same way. Called to be faithful. Whatever we do for the Lord, we are called to be faithful. It doesn't matter if we're successful. That's up to the Holy Spirit. That's up to God. If, he, if He's called you to do something and be part of something or, or move forward with in, in something, then you need to be faithful in that, no matter what goes on around you. We're going to look at... Um, how the sticky fruit of faithfulness ought to look like in our lives as we're going to look at the interaction between God and Noah. A familiar story in the Bible found in Genesis chapter 6. You can turn there. And that chapter talks about the whole thing about the flood and then as well, of course, about his interaction with Noah and how this ark needed to be built. I'm going to read and begin with verse 11. And we'll read on through till verse 22. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, 
to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and, and, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And I'm thinking, couldn't those mosquitoes be left behind? I don't know, but anyway. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. In verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So this, this portion of scripture that we have for today should remind us that there are really no such thing as good old days. If you look in Noah's days, yeah, that wasn't the, the way. Sin may have not been as obvious a couple of generations ago as it is today. Uh, but ever since Adam and Eve's declaration of independence, this world has been basically a sin-stinking place. It has gotten worse and worse. That was true at the time of Noah as well. When God looked at the world of that time, he saw believers carelessly putting their faith in jeopardy by choosing marriage partners based solely on sex appeal, not whether their spouse would help them in their walk with God. God also saw a, a, a malicious disregard for life as the strong fell upon the weak and took for themselves whatever they wanted. While these unbelievers could no doubt act like nice people from time to time, God was not fooled. He saw that in verse, in verse 5 of this chapter. He said that every inclination of their hearts was only evil all the time. What a horrible state. God was disgusted by what he saw, and so he prepared to cleanse the world of these people who had no use for him. And it's good for us to remember that it isn't just automobiles that can be recalled by their maker. Human beings can be as well, too. And the day, that, uh, the day for total recall of all human beings is coming. The day is coming. Jesus promised that one day you will have to stand before his judgment throne, and, and we know he'll stick to that promise. Noah was convinced that God was faithful to his promise to cleanse the world, and so he resolved to stick close to God's directions, follow his plan very closely. If God said that a flood was coming and that he should build a, a big boat so that he and his family and every kind of animal could survive, then that's what Noah would do, even though he probably didn't understand what this rain was going to look like or anything else. Now, you've probably seen some cute pictures on, on Sunday school walls uh, of the ark, maybe in children's books, giving you the impression that Noah could have assembled that boat in a weekend or two. But uh, that's not the case. The ark was, was uh, uh, huge and gigantic. It was about as high as a four-story house. Get that in your mind, a four-story house, and about a football field and a half long. So you can kind of picture this this huge, gigantic item. <laughs> and besides his work on the ark, Noah also had to gather a year's worth of food for his family and for all the animals. You go grocery shopping, I don't think Costco would have enough for you to be able to have a year's supply for all of that. There's no wonder God gave Noah his orders over a hundred years before he actually sent the flood. Noah would need the time to prepare for what God said was coming. Needing all that time. Can you imagine working on something for over 100 years? I don't know how long it takes you, Ron, to do a deck, but I'm sure you get it done a little quicker than that, right? Yeah. But do you ever wonder uh, um, what kind of insults Noah faced as he worked on the ark? 100 years worth, at least. 
And he's out there working on this big, gigantic structure and people walking by him. I'm sure they had plenty to say and snickering and everything else. We might get an idea from a modern Noah. Did you know in 2007, a man in Holland built a replica of the ark that is five times smaller than the original one? So it wasn't a huge, gigantic thing. Five times smaller than the original one. And it, co- it still cost the Dutchman $1.35 million to be able to do this. And why would he do this? Because he could, I suppose. <laughs> I hope God wasn't speaking to him. But uh, critics talked about the waste of time and effort as they, as they watched this, this Dutchman build. And if you had $1.35 million, would you build an ark? Or would you do something else with that? Why not build a comfortable home instead? Or give, give to uh, missions or whatever else. But in the same way, Noah's industriousness must have impressed his friends and neighbors as he cut down trees. He had to do all this work. Cut down trees, dragged them to the work site, purchased or made nails, and then spent countless hours pounding the wood into place until his hands were numb. Noah then uh, sweated in the sun, slapping pitch on the ark so that it would be seaworthy. Wouldn't want that thing to leak at all in any way. But what was it all for? A flood? Really, a flood. And people would look around, maybe they would ask, Hey, Noah, what you doing there? And Oh, uh, God told me to build this because a flood's coming. And they'd go, a flood? Really? And they'd look around at all the dry areas and, and uh, uh, parched lands and think, a flood? Hmm. But yet Noah continued to stick to God's plan for him. Noah was faithful because he knew God would be faithful to his promise to send that flood. And like the people of Noah's day, maybe people you know, friends of yours, maybe even family members, question the time you spend here at church. What are you doing on Sunday? Come on down to the, to the river. Let's go boating or whatever. Let's go up to the mountain. And you, no, 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 I'm going to church. Church? Again? Yeah, it's a Sunday. I go to church. They might be questioning about that. And would they really question your sanity if they knew how much money you've dropped in the offering plate over the last five years? So they go back and go, what? You, you did what? <laughs> wow, uh, that's a lot of money. With that money, you could have done a lot of other things. Maybe gone on a cruise or bought a car or put a down payment on a house or, or all those things. And what do you have to show for that money now? And they would think probably, you know, not much at all. Not much at all. But you could say that you're building an ark. And, and not suggesting that our church is going to be a refuge come judgment day. You know, this is all going to burn as well, too, at the end uh, when everything is all burned up. But your ark is your faith in Jesus. Because that's the only thing that will save you. <laughs> that's the ark for us. We spend a lot of time here at church, pouring you know, money into the church and the ministries here to support gospel ministry so that through God's word, our faith in Jesus will be strengthened. We'll be able to be used by him to spread the word around and that people know who Jesus is in our life. Noah didn't just build the ark for himself but for his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And in the same way, we invest much here because we want our loved ones and others to survive Judgment Day with us. We want others to know about Jesus and what he can do for them. 
And so you invest in that, your time, your talents, your treasures. Don't give up on your efforts. Stick to the plan because God is going to stick to his plan of destroying this world. It's going to come to an end. Judgment day is coming. Now, I'm not sure that when Noah first got the command to build the ark, he was a flurry of activity. I don't know if he was continuing on real fast and, oh, we've got to hurry up and get this done. But how long did that enthusiasm last? I know that if I, I get motivated to do something, I get going for a first few um, hours or so, and then I just wear out and I'm done, and I'll take a break and kind of wear down from that activity. Noah would continue on. If he really worked on the ark for 120 years, there must have been days, though, when he was tempted to quit. You think about that. You continue on, continue on. Is this ever going to finish? Is, this, is God going to follow through with his promise? And when he would feel like quitting and, and lose focus, then he would also, all we'd have to do is, is refocus in a way in being staying faithful and stick to the plan. He would just be able to realize where he's at, what's going to happen around here. Hebrews 11, uh, verse 7 says, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. In holy fear. To stay focused, Noah only had to regularly picture the place where he bought the nails and the restaurant he liked to go eat at. All of that underwater. That's all he had to do, is envision everything Underwater. When he was tempted to waste hours in the town square listening to the gossip of the day, he just had to picture a gigantic wave smashing everything there to bits and burying it under layers of mud. When he envisioned that, I'm sure that he was able to be motivated to continue on. We too are living in a world that's marked for destruction. So does it really matter whether, you, whether or not you have the latest iPhone? <laughs> does it really matter or not uh, important to have your kids enrolled up to their eyeballs in all these activities? Do you, do you really need to spend hours keeping up the latest from Hollywood or Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media you're, you're part of? It's pointless when you remember that it's all going to be gone. All of it. Your possessions, that RV, that boat, that car, your house with that renovated bathroom. Even the gold and silver you have stashed away. Live in holy fear of the day of judgment that is coming. Realize that it's all going to be gone. And so don't hold tightly to it. I'm not saying possessions are bad. Sell everything and you know live in a cardboard box. But I'm saying live your life in a way that you have a focus on eternity. So you have your priorities right. Sometimes those can get shuffled a little bit. We can, we can get those mixed up just because of circumstances in our lives. But when we realize that this is all going to come to an end, where are we going to be at? And where are our neighbors or our friends or even our family members going to be at at the end? When we think about those things and the priority of letting people know about Jesus, sharing our faith, discipling others, helping them grow in Christ, that becomes a little more important than a lot of the things we can have or possess. <laughs> and we all shouldn't just hole up here in the church and never venture out at all, maybe only to get food. 
That's not, what, that's not what Noah did. We hear from the New Testament that he was a preacher of righteousness. Did you know that? He preached while he was continuing to build that ark. While he built that ark, he desperately tried to convince others to come on board. He let them know about this was the way to be saved. And you could say that Noah stuck close to his friends as he faithfully witnessed to them. And, he can, and we can show the same faithfulness to our friends as we too warn them about the coming judgment and urge them to come on board with us here. Whatever it is, be able to get them in a relationship with Christ. That, that should be our goal, to let them know about Jesus, to let them know what God has for them. But faithfulness will show itself in other ways too. Someone who is faithful is dependable. When you tell a friend that you'll meet them for coffee, you do so. You follow through. When you tell your parents you'll be home and to help them with the yard work, you do that too. And don't excuse your absence because something came up. That's fickleness, not faithfulness. <laughs> Someone who is faithful is also a finisher. If you said you were going to clean out the garage, then do it all the way to the end. Some of our garages... It's tough to be able to go all the way to the end. We've yet to begin ours. <laughs> if you told your classmates that you would do the research for that science project, don't leave it to the last minute so that you have to make up some excuse as to why you couldn't complete your part. This, this world struggles with faithfulness. The sentiment inside a particular Hallmark card reads, I can't promise you forever, but I can promise you today. Now, in contrast to that sentiment, the prophet Isaiah wrote about God's faithfulness in Isaiah 54, verse 10. It says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. God proved his faithfulness in the person of Jesus. He was utterly dependable. He was the finisher. The one who completely paid for our sins and, and therefore secured our salvation. He didn't leave any loose ends for us to tie up. So how can we not remain faithful and stick close to a Savior like that? May we be renewed in our desire to give Jesus our all, our everything, to lay our life on the line for Him. One preacher observed that uh, we might think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a thousand dollar bill and laying it on the table saying here's my life lord take it but he explains that the reality for most of us is that the lord sends us back to the bank to exchange that thousand dollar bill for quarters <laughs> he then wants us to go through life putting down 25 cents here 50 cents there when we listen to a, a co-worker's troubles instead of wishing they'd leave us alone or when we attend another committee meeting. <laughs> or look people in the eye and smile as we walk by them, no matter who they are. Living for Christ is usually done in those little acts of love. 25 cents at a time. And that takes faithfulness. And faithfulness is being trustworthy to God and others. But think, there is, there's so much more than, than just that. What does this sticky fruit of faithfulness look like in us? What should it look like in us? Well, it's believing when we don't see it. Like we already saw here with Noah. 
building that ark, putting his family and all the animals on the ark because God said so. No one had ever seen a rainstorm like, God, like what God said he was going to do. But true, true faith does not see and then believe. It believes and then sees. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing, as someone said in one Santa Claus movie, I believe. But do you have trouble believing if you don't see it? Faithfulness. Faithfulness also, it's obeying when we don't understand it. Like Abraham. God had finally given Abraham his promised son with Sarah, and all of a sudden Abraham is asked to sacrifice Isaac. I'm sure Abraham had no idea why God would ask him to do this, but he was willing to do it anyhow. Do you need to understand before obeying? Faithfulness is also giving when we don't have it. Like the widow of Zarephath. There was a famine and Elijah asked the widow of Zarephath to use up her very last supply of food. That was all she had, but she gave it anyway. Do you find it difficult to give when you really don't have it? Or seem like you don't have it? Faithfulness is, is persisting when we don't feel like it. Like Moses. <laughs> there were many times that Moses wanted to stop leading all those hard-hearted people around. Especially after he found out he wasn't going into the promised land. But he kept leading. Do you lack persistence when the feeling isn't there? And faithfulness, is, it's, it's thanking before we receive it. Like King Jehoshaphat. While King Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, the people asked for God's help in dealing with the invading armies of the Moabites and the Ammonites. You saw this all play out a number of years ago when <laughs> Jacob was the king. And uh, it, the kids did that musical here at the church. But God instructed these people to form a choir and put the choir in front of the army as it marched into battle. And as they marched, the choir sang, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. When they arrived at the battlefield, all they saw was the dead soldiers of the army, the enemy's army. And they had embraced a genuine faith characterized by thanking God even before he answered their prayer. So do you thank God? Before receiving from him? When you're praying for something, do you thank him that, that this prayer will be answered? Might not be the way you want it to be answered, but it will be answered. Faithfulness is trusting if we don't get it. Faithfulness is even just is, is trusting even if we don't get it. You think of all the Old Testament people that the book of Hebrews talks about. Those people who died having not yet seen God's promise. But God isn't some vending machine that we can get what we want all the time. Put in the, in the prayer coins and push the right numbers and you get your, out what you want. God is going to do what he's going to do. But he's a good God. He's a God that wants the best for you. And faithfulness is trusting even if we don't get what we want. You see, that's faithfulness, and it takes faithfulness to stick with it over the long haul. And Noah, Noah stuck with it over the long haul. That's because God stuck with him. And this God will also stick with you.
Actually, you could say that God in the person of Jesus was stuck to you. It's kind of like a train engine that's been attached to the rear of the train so it can push the train cars up over the mountain pass. Jesus, together with the Holy Spirit, is pushing you so that you remain faithful, not just on the inside in your love for God, but faithful on the outside too in your love for others. He's there guiding you, directing you, and you get to be able to do these things, being faithful around you, sticky inside and out. That's you. That's me. Just like a bakuri fruit, right? I'm going to ask Annie and and Becky to come on up. Ron, we're going to lead in a couple songs here at the end. Now, as they do, let me, just, let me just ask you, just think about the ways you show your faithfulness to God. What are the ways you show your faithfulness to God? Are there things that are getting in the way of your faithfulness? What areas of your life have you not given over to Him? That could be the place where there's an obstacle being able to do, be faithful. And I encourage you to spend some time in prayer, asking God to make these things clear to you so that he can grow you in your faithfulness. So if you need to come and pray, the altar is open. If you'd like to do that, those are online. Make your altar right there. And if you need to be praying and asking God to help you be more faithful, not only in people around you and in situations, but also with God and trusting him.